Thank you. In your Bibles this morning, Psalm 142, Psalm 142, and we come to the psalm, and psalm is written by David, and David writes this psalm as he's ran for his life from King Saul. It's a discouraging moment in young David's life. He's done uh, lots of things right. He's really tried hard. He was a faithful shepherd. He was a faithful harp player for a troubled king. He was uh, a faithful giant killer. He was a faithful husband to his wife, Michael. He was uh, a faithful leader of a multitude of soldiers and conquering the enemies of God. And it seems like all of his faithfulness has ended up in trouble. <laughs> and uh, some people say, no good deed goes unpunished. You ever heard that? <laughs> There, there seems to be some truth to that, but we can't live our lives uh, defeated by trouble that comes our way. And David finds himself in this passage of Scripture in a situation that he is uh, desperate, discouraged, and seeking. And he says something in verse number 7 that has jumped off the page in my heart here in the last little bit. The Bible says in verse number 7 of Psalm 142, David says, Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. Bring my soul out of prison. Isn't that an interesting thought? An interesting phrase. David is confessing something as he finds himself hiding after he's run for his life from Saul in the cave of Adullam. He says, My soul is in prison. There was no bars in that cave. Uh, there were no guards at the door. But he was acknowledging something that he recognized in his own heart and life. His soul had become captive. It was captive to fear. It was captive to worry. It was captive to fretting over things that were far beyond his control. His soul was in prison. That word soul is very interesting. We do have an eternal soul. I don't want to uh, shine any negative light on that. Our soul is eternal. But our soul is an interesting part of who we are. Our soul is comprised of our intellect, our emotion, and our will. Uh, my soul, the soul of Cody, is what gives me my personality. It's my intellect, my emotion, and my will, my desire. And my soul is something that God wants to use in a very special way. How many of you have been in troubled soul? Moments where the issues are so strong and so powerful that you can't possibly be in a good emotional state. You've been troubled in soul when you get to a place where you're not even thinking clear because your soul's troubled. That's where David was. David had led all the burdens and all the grief and they were massive. There were lots of them. But he'd allowed the trouble and all the worry and all the fear and all the fretting to cast his soul, his emotional state, his intellectual state, his desire to do. He'd let the trouble 
imprison his soul. He did the right thing. He acknowledged, my soul is in prison. And he cries to the Lord. He says, bring my soul out of prison. I don't know about you, but there are seasons in all of our lives, in my life I know for sure, where it seems like I find my soul imprisoned to the cares of life, imprisoned to the worries, imprisoned to the frets, imprisoned to the bitterness of the past, imprisoned to the fears of what might come just down the road. And I wonder if we can find from God's Word in this passage of Scripture an answer, some help for a soul that's in prison. Bring my soul out of prison was David's prayer. We know from the life and story of David that indeed God heard and answered this prayer. And he used, no doubt, some of the principles from this passage in order to bring his soul out of prison. How many of you are here, you're just having trouble getting over something. Don't raise your hand, but you're here and you're having trouble getting over something. You're having trouble getting through this thing. You may be looking at it and thinking, I can't believe that I'm still letting that bother me. God sent his word. And like David, you can pray. And I know he'll hear a simple prayer that sounds like this. Lord, bring my soul out of prison. Bring my soul out of prison. Let's look at it together. We'll introduce this passage of Scripture by reading verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Look at the kind of situation that David's in, and maybe you can say amen. First of all, we see David crying. I don't know about you, but us big, tough, and tumble men don't like to cry, but maybe sometimes in private. (laughs) Whether you're crying on the outside, sometimes you're crying on the inside, and no one knows it. God does. He's crying. He prays, Lord, attended to my cry. Why? For I am brought very low. Have you ever been low? Have you ever been very low? David was a state of very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. David had a group of people that were really out to get him. That's a miserable place to be. Where you know there are certain folks who... Have it out for you. For whatever reason, they've decided they don't like you. For whatever reason, they've decided they don't want you to survive or succeed. And sometimes that's a reality, and other times it's a perception. Sometimes we perceive that that person's out to get us when they're really not. But either way, the idea and the thought and the worry of a persecutor can put our soul in prison. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. (laughs) What's David coming to grips with and understanding? He said, I'm weak. My enemy is stronger than me. Let me tell you something that's really encouraging. Your enemy is stronger than you. It's a fact. You and I are no match for the devil. (laughs) If we're honest, we're no match for 
the human persecutors, the people who come along that are operating contrary to the word, faith, the message of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our persecutors are stronger than we are. Where's the help? How can my soul be brought out of prison? For that purpose, David writes this psalm. I'd like to read it to you, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, I cried in the Lord with my voice. With my voice in the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attended to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Bring my soul out of prison. Let's look at a few things as we ask the Lord to help us. Bring my soul out of prison. What can I go to? Where can I turn when I find myself in these trapped moments where emotionally, mentally, intellectually, I'm in prison to the worries and fears of life. The first thing we need to remember, number one, is that we can pray. We can pray. Now, this may seem a little trite, but it shouldn't be because prayer is something that God has given us. I'll just tell you something. I've been preaching for more than 20 years, and I love preaching, and I love studying God's Word, and I love the idea, and I love the truths about prayer. But I'll just tell you right now, there's a whole lot about praying and prayer that I don't understand. And that's okay. I don't have to understand everything. But I know this to be true. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, God through the Old Testament encourages His people to pray. And over and over and over and over again through the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ encourages His people to pray. As a matter of fact, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, He prayed. And God's reminding us of something. We are to pray, and prayer turns our hearts toward the Lord. Do you know why we often find ourselves imprisoned by our emotions, imprisoned by the troubles that face us? My soul is in prison often because we forget that God is with me. That God cares for me. That God is working on my behalf. That God is faithful. And when we find ourselves, our souls, in prison, we need to remember to pray. Look at the Bible says in verse 1, I cried unto the Lord. The word cried jumps off the page and needs to be paid attention to. Cried. Crying. I, I don't like to cry. But there comes times in life where desperation leads to crying. And crying to the Lord's a good thing. Our Father in heaven is touched by the cries of His children. We may get to the place here where we cry out to the Lord. 
No more of this, I got this. No more of this sucking it up. No more of this pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Crying to the Lord. There's an emphasis here in this passage of Scripture. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. Two times we have this phrase, unto the Lord. Where are we to cry? When our hearts are overwhelmed, when our spirit is broken down, when our soul is in prison, where are we to turn? Where is our cry to be directed? To the Lord. To the Lord. We cry to this person and that person. We cry to our hairdresser. I don't because there's not much there. And Ian cuts my hair so he don't want to hear my crying. Who do we cry to? You know what's funny? Maybe it's funny. Maybe it's sad. But you know what we find ourselves doing? We'll get in an emotional tizzy. We'll find our souls in prison. Do you know who we'll end up confiding in? Somebody that is completely unfaithful. It's amazing. Our flesh gets weak in these prison moments. And we'll find someone to confide in. Many, many of illicit affairs and marriages have been broken up because one of the partners in a marriage, the man or the woman, has found their soul in prison. They found someone of the opposite sex to confide in. And that is wrong, 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 wrong. And David did it right. David didn't leave Michael to get his help. He cried unto the Lord. Maybe we should start taking our burdens to someone that can actually do something about it and take it to the Lord. Be careful who you confide in. Confidence in an unfaithful man doesn't work. The Bible says something like it's like a foot out of joint. If you've ever broken a toe or something, you know that's not good. He says, I cried Unto the Lord, twice in verse number 1, he cries unto the Lord. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make, out, make my supplication. Verse number 2, I poured out my complaint before him. Where did the complaint go? To the Lord. I poured out my complaint before I showed before him. I like these, this re- repetition. Unto the Lord, twice in verse number 1. Before him, twice in verse number 2. What did he do? He poured out his complaint. Do you know that it's okay to complain to the Lord? It may not be okay to complain to most people, but it's okay to complain to the Lord. He poured out his complaint. He said, I don't really understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why I'm having to deal with this. I don't understand why this is happening in my life at this moment. He poured out his complaint. And when you find your soul in prison, you can complain about it to God. He'll hear your complaint. And he'll begin to bring your soul out of prison. That you can effectively praise, praise his name. Pray. You know, we should turn to the Lord first. We should cry to the Lord first. We should complain to the Lord first. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. What did David do? He prayed. Prayer is the first step to bringing our soul out of prison. You may need to get to a spot where you find a quiet place and leave your phone behind and 
Leave your friends and family behind for just a while and get in the presence of God and pray. One of the greatest places in the world for me is on a lawnmower or on a tractor. Oh, I love it. I need the loud noise and the background noise to tune everything out and I can talk to the Lord. There's closet spaces and office spaces and places to hide and get along with God because prayer is the first step to bring your soul out of prison. Maybe you're here today and you feel like I can identify, whoa, my, I see crying very low, persecutors, weakness. My soul is in prison. I need out. And you've talked to this person, that person, you've set up these appointments, but you've yet to turn to God. I want to encourage you to do something. Pray. You're never alone. Jesus is with you. Pray. Prayer is casting our cares on Him. Trusting the Lord with the burden that we bear. Pray. Bring my soul out of prison. How? Prayer. Number two, we need to remember God's providence. We remember God's providence. Something that David acknowledges is found in verse number three. I've probably preached from Psalm 142 more than any other passage in the whole Bible. The first time I preached from Psalm 142, I was a junior in Bible college, and I had to write a sermon out of this passage of Scripture. And ever since then, God has used it so many times to help me. And every time, it's something new and something fresh. And I'll just tell you, I've never preached it this way. But this little phrase in verse 3 always comes off the page and is a great reminder when we find ourselves in a place where we're in prison, we're afraid, we're fearful, we're lost, we don't know what to do. And it's affecting everything about us. David said, when my spirit, verse 3, was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privileged a snare for me. Thou knewest my path. He says, I am acknowledging something. My enemy, as I make the path of life, have laid snares. There's traps and pitfalls all along the way. And I don't know how to navigate them all. How many of you are looking at something in the near future? You have no idea how you're going to navigate that. (laughs) How many of you have allowed the fears of what might happen in the next few days or the next few weeks, the next few months? I can't help but think about Thanksgiving and Christmas and family. Some people hear the word family and it's a warm place in their heart. Some others hear the word family. It's an ice cold, scary spot. You dread to deal with it again. Some people hear the word family and one minute they're warm and another minute they're cold. One minute they're warm and another minute they're cold. And most of us can identify with some of that. We worry and fret and wonder. We've got health concerns that we're wondering how this is going to come to pass and how this is going to work out. We have these fears. I want you to remind it. I want to remind you of something. You can't possibly know all the places that the traps and the pitfalls and the fears are down the road, but God knows your path. Here's something wonderful to know about Jesus Christ. He knows why 
You've walked the path that you've walked here before. So far. He knows why you've gone where you've gone. God knows your path. In David's instance, God knew exactly what he was doing when David was a young man and sent the prophet to anoint him to be the next king. And God knew exactly what he was doing when Samuel walked off and David anointed to be the next king of Israel just went back to tending sheep. And God knew what he was doing when he sent a lion and a bear. You mean God could send a lion and a bear and scare his boy like that? Yes! God was preparing him. And God knew what he was doing when through the voice of that giant Goliath, David's heart was stirred to honor the name of God. And God knew what he was doing all through David's life. And at this moment in David's life, when he writes Psalm 142, when he's not yet the king of Israel and his father-in-law is out to kill him and his wife is no longer present and his children are no longer present, his men are no longer present, he's all by himself. God knows why he's there. And David's prayer is so accurate and so right and the spirit of his prayer is so correct when he says, Lord, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. He says, I'm not dealing with this very well right this moment, but I need your help. And God reminds him, you can pray. And God reminds him, I know your path. I am providentially working in your life. And he says, I know why I've brought you to this point. And I've directed you along the way. And I'm going to keep directing as you look to the future. Where you stand this moment, child of God, you remember this. You should never look back in your past with bitterness. Because God is able to overrule every bad thing that any person has ever done to you or you've done against you. God is able to use it for His glory. God knows your path. Don't be bitter. Be thankful because God is good. Child of God, as you look towards the future, don't be fearful because God is good. And he knows the path of your life. And he knows how he's going to bring you through the thing that gives you the greatest angst and fear. And when we determine and remember and remind ourselves and thank God once again that he is providentially working in our lives through love and wisdom and we can trust him and he knows my path. Then guess what happens? The prison that our soul has become captive to, fades away because we're trusting and believing that God is wiser than I am. God is smarter than me. God is better than me. And God knows what's ahead for me and will be with me all along the way. David says, God, you know my path. You are providentially working in my life. Prayer, providence, Finally, number three, provision. Provision. So much of our worry is about will we have enough? Will we have enough food? Will we have enough money? Will we have enough strength? Will we have enough grace? Provision. 
What if we don't have the health? What if we don't have the strength? What if we have to go through and you fill in the blank, the one that worries you the most, the one that's given you so much grief that your soul is in prison? And you remember God is able to provide. Look what the Bible says in verse 4. David is worried about his enemy and the snares along the way. And he continues by saying it like this, verse 4. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. That little phrase is really important. No man that would know me. Do you know how David felt this moment? He's like, nobody understands no one knows what I'm going through. No one knows. The old spiritual goes like this. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. <laughs> Folks, it may be true. As a matter of fact... It is absolutely true that no one can possibly understand what you're dealing with. As a matter of fact, you don't understand what you're dealing with either. How many of you have just realized that, hey, look, not only does no one else know what I'm going through, I don't know what I'm going through. He says, no man knows me. No man can possibly understand how bad this hurts me. No one can possibly understand how bad this worries me. No one can possibly understand how deep and dark the spot is that I'm in. And he was right. Because he didn't know either. But the Lord did. He said, I looked on my right hand. And beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. He says, no refuge, no place to go. No refuge, refuge failed me. He said, no man cared for my soul. Not only does no one know or understand what I'm going through, but as far as I can tell right this moment, there's nobody that even cares. You know something interesting? David was wrong about this little spot. That no man cared for his soul. Hmm. There was a group of people gathering in the background, even as he penned these words to help him. But he said, No man cared for me. Man, have you been there? Nobody understands. Nobody cares. He says, Oh, but Lord, you do. You see, the Lord was his provision, his provider. And the Bible says, in verse 5, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. He says, Lord, I can depend on you. He acknowledged the fact that God understood not only what he was going through, but was actually touched and concerned by the things that concerned him. I don't know about you, but it helps me to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is touched with the feelings of my infirmities. That just simply means that he knows and is concerned about the things that concern me. I'm insignificant. I know it. 
In the grand scheme of this world, I'm a very small speck. But in the heart of God, I carry an important place. And so do you. He cares. He says, Lord, you are my refuge. You are my portion. Look at the next phrase, the end of verse 5. Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Oh, how many times do I meet defeated Christians along life's way? And all they can do is think about heaven. Now, heaven's good. In the last several weeks, I found myself thinking more and more about heaven and rejoicing in what it'll be like to be in a world and a life where there's no grief and no burden and no prisons for my soul. (laughs) But I want you to know something. We don't have to live in the land of the living with our souls in prison to worry and fret and fear and faithlessness. Because God is not only our refuge and our portion when we breathe our last breath on earth and we're in His presence in eternity forever in heaven. Hallelujah. God is our refuge and our portion. Where? When? Right now. In the land of the living. Look, have you ever been around somebody that lived their whole life waiting on their inheritance, but they end up wasting their lives? It's a sad story. If you're there, don't do it. You can do that in life, live your whole life waiting on your inheritance. By the time you get your inheritance, you're going to be too old to enjoy it, so you might as well get a job now. And as a Christian, have you ever been around a Christian that lives their whole life looking for heaven? It's terrible now, but one of these days, over in glory, and I'm not making fun of over in glory because it's going to be sweet. It's going to be sweeter than we can imagine. But God doesn't intend for you to live your short life empty and miserable and bound by sin and your soul in prison because he's going to provide your need in the land of the living. Look, rest. Rest in the provision that God has offered. Now look, it's one thing, and I'm excited, I'm thankful that I'm not going to have to worry about the provisions like food, clothing, and shelter because God's going to help me. I'm thankful for that. But more importantly to me than that is I don't have to worry about not having the mercy and the grace and the patience and the joy to live this life free from the burden of faithlessness and fear and fretting. When I put my trust in the fact that God will provide. You see, David prayed in verse 7. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. What's he do? He changes his tone. Just a few verses ago, he says, No man cared for my soul, but now he says, The righteous shall compass me about. He says, I'm going to be surrounded by God's people, and I'm going to be encouraged. And I know something about you, Lord. Look at the last phrase of this psalm. 
for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. He says, Lord, you're going to apply your bounty in my life. I believe that to be true, folks, and you should too. It may not be bounty as in a bank account full or even a refrigerator full, but I'll just tell you something. When you're resting and trusting and believing in the Lord, when you let him bring your soul out of prison, guess what you get? Bounty. Bountiful joy, bountiful peace, bountiful satisfaction. All the results of just simply trusting. David cried, bring my soul out of prison. Are you there today? If you are, you remember something. The Lord has granted you access to him through prayer. He's providentially working and knows your path. And he will provide your needs both spiritually and physically. Not just in eternity, but in the land of the living. How many of you need to pray like David? Lord, please bring my soul out of prison. If that's you, by all means, give it to him today. He'll hear and answer your prayer. He can be trusted. Rest in his faithfulness and his promises. Bring my soul out of prison.